Thank you, Alan. We are entering into just kind of a break from our study of Romans and looking through, uh, basically taking a closer look at Christmas. This morning, I want us to look through the eyes of angels and kind of get a glimpse of what it is that they saw and experienced at that Christmas time. Have you ever wondered what the conversation was like with the angels during that week of heaven when God uh, established the foundations of the earth and, and, and was setting forth his plan for mankind. Um, can you imagine what they said when they realized that there was something just a little bit different when God was forming man from the dust of the earth and when he breathed the breath of life into his nostrils? It, it was something that was a little bit different than he had done before. Everything else, God simply spoke and it came into existence. It was there. So there must be something really special about this man for God's plan for him. Psalm 8 tells us that man was created just a little lower than these angels of heaven. Surely they, they must have felt something odd about it, when, what, what God was doing. They, they had to have to been intrigued by this whole affair, especially when God would go down in the cool of the day and, and walk with this man, Adam, and spend time with him. Angels, they were created to serve and to worship God. But here, God was developing a unique relationship with man. I can imagine them cheering on and rooting for Adam and Eve when their old nemesis Lucifer showed up on the scene with that temptation to go against God. And they were probably trying to say, don't do it, don't do it. But then that, that, that great moan that filled all heaven when the angels realized that Adam and Eve as well had sinned. At least two angels then were placed at the entrance on the eastern side of that garden, and they were given a flaming sword as, as they were make sure that, that, that nobody and, and nothing was ever going to come into that garden ever again after God had closed them from the tree of life. Things appeared to go downhill from there, and it got really bad on earth over the next thousand years or so. The angels probably struggled to look at God and to see upon him this, the, the grief upon his face concerning this relationship with these people that he had created in his image. And finally, God was going to act upon his grief. And, and it would appear that, that he was going to bring disastrous consequences to, to all of his creation because of them. He was going to destroy it. Everything. I mean, everything was going to be punished because of man. But then they also noticed there was, there was Noah. Now, there was something different about Noah. I mean, he was... He was he was a friend of God. At least that's what we're told in Scripture. And, and Noah, he was striving daily to live a life of righteousness, though it was probably very difficult in the midst of all that chaos with the people in the world that he was living among. So God determined to protect Noah and to save him and his family from what he was about to do. And so... 
he brought them safely through the destruction. I know that God was going to start over again with Noah and his family. There were eight people this time rather than just Adam and Eve. So maybe it would be a different start. You would think that Noah and his family, after they had witnessed and after all that they had experienced in and through this horrific event because of the wickedness of man's heart, you would think that they would get it right and, and that they would, they would develop a righteous heritage, right? I mean, that's what we would think. But it didn't take long for sin to raise its ugly head again. And on and on, through every generation, this struggle with sin seemed to have no end in sight. No matter how righteous men may appear to be at any given time, it seemed that they always succumbed to some form of temptation. And the angels, they were eyewitnesses of this. I mean, they watched it from heaven. They saw it all unfold year after year, century after century, millennia upon millennia. They watched man once again walk away from God. Now, we can read in Scripture through various stories how God, how He used angels to carry out certain missions for Him in, in, in relationship to mankind. Whether they were being entertained by Abraham with a picnic underneath a mamre tree as they were telling him that he was going to have a boy, or they were speaking through the mouth of a donkey trying to convince a prophet that he needed to get his words right and change his life. Angels have always been prominent in carrying forth the message of God and His Word to people throughout history. Sometimes they were to be bearers of bad news. They were even sent to bring about the death of individuals or nations and punish them from, because of their disobedience to God. But then, throughout every corner of heaven, there began to be this rumbling of, of rumors that were beginning to arise. Talk of some outrageous, or shall I say miraculous event was about to take place, and God had something up his sleeve that he was about to turn the whole world on its ear. Something that once and for all was going to destroy the power of sin and death, and it was going to set things in order for the awakening of a new day, a new creation, a new life. And Gabriel, the archangel, was summoned to the throne room of God. And God was getting ready to send him on a very special mission. God's ultimate plan was about to become a reality. So, this morning, I, I want us to take a closer look at Christmas through the eyes of angels and examine God's plan as it begins to unfold. The first thing that we discover that through the eyes of angels, the fear and the uncertainty of men was seen. Zechariah. 
He appeared to have his life in order. As a matter of fact, it seems that God was pleased with the way in which Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth were living. The Word of God actually tells us that, that they were both righteous before God and they were walking blameless in all of the commandments and the statutes of the Lord. Now, this is a unique couple, right? I mean, this is where they are, but, but there was a problem. They had grown old together and for whatever reason, they were not able to conceive any children in their marriage. But that was about to change. Even in their advanced years, Luke records for us in the first chapter beginning in verse 8, While he was serving as priest before God when his division was on duty, according to the, the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen to enter the temple of the Lord and to burn incense. And the whole multitude of people, they were, they were praying outside at the hour of incense, and there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But, but it wasn't just the, the presence of the Lord that I think that Zechariah was, was scared of. Matter of fact, the angel had a special message for him that was about to radically change Zechariah's life. Luke goes on. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord, and, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and, and, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Now, I get it. I'm kind of with Zechariah. Uh, I would probably respond the same way he did after I was done shaking in my boots uh, that I, I would most likely start rambling some kind of, of incoherent words trying to make sense of everything that's going on around me. And, 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 and Gabriel tells him, How shall I know this? Zechariah asks him. For I'm a man, an old man. And my wife... She's advanced in years. Well, he asked for it. <laughs> How am I going to know this is real? So let's pay attention to the answer he gets here from Gabriel. And the angel answered him. He said, I'm Gabriel. And I stand in the presence of God. And I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not believe my words which will be fulfilled in their time. 
Uh, the people, they were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them, and he remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. I mean, what a message Gabriel had to deliver. And what a response that he received with, was, was received with fear and uncertainty, the trembling of, of Zechariah and, and not believing what he's seeing or hearing. And, and I wonder why people just don't trust angels. You know, why don't they, why don't they just believe them? I mean, it's not like you encounter an angel on a daily basis, is it? I mean, these moments aren't really even once in a lifetime or maybe, for that matter, even in a generation of people. These moments, they're special moments for special occasion, and God is sending His angels to communicate His divine plan for all mankind. But Gabriel isn't finished yet. He's another mission a little bit on the horizon, and this one's really going to shake things up. Mary. Well, how do we explain Mary? Well, she was a little different than Zechariah and Elizabeth. They were advanced in years and, and, and had been married for quite some time. Mary, she was just a young girl. She was unwed, yet she was engaged to be married. However, she was still a virgin, there was one thing that has the appearance of similarity with Mary and, and, and Zechariah. God also looked upon her with favor. And he wanted her to be a part of his wonderful plan. Again, Gabriel is sent from heaven, this time to a little town nestled in the mountains just north of Samaria, in a little village called Nazareth. And he shows up on the scene. And Luke again tells us in chapter 1, beginning in verse 28, And he came to her, Mary, and he said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. <laughs> but she was greatly troubled at the saying, and she tried to discern what kind of greeting this might be. And, and once again, Gabriel runs into the same response. Why is it every time he gets to interact with people on a mission from God, they're the, just the opposite of what he's wanting starts to happen. People start to tremble with fear. And so the angel then in, continues to tell her, and he says to her, Don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Behold, now see, he's got some good news here. Behold, you're going to conceive in your womb and you're going to bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How's this going to be since I'm still a virgin? Now, I get it. Being singled out by God has to be a terrifying ordeal. Can, can you imagine being Mary at that moment? 
Most of us probably, do, we just want to go on in life w- without being noticed. And we just want to blend in or maybe be the average John or Mary. I think you understand that being singled out by God might put you on a stage that you don't want to be on. We just want to blend in. John Ortberg, he's a Christian author and speaker, and he's a former preacher at the Menlo Park Presbyterian Church in Menlo Park, California. He's written a book called, You Want to Walk on Water, You've Got to Get Out of the Boat. Now, in this book, he makes this statement. He says, millions of people in churches today, they could be called pew potatoes. All right? He says, they want some of the comfort associated with spirituality, but they don't want the risk and the challenge that goes along with actually following Jesus. Often like sheep, we find comfort in the crowd, right? In the, in the bumping and the bustling and the jostling around of, of all the bodies. And, and, and we want to stay comfortable there. And, and we're, we're called to stand out among that crowd. We tend to allow fear to begin to, to rise up in us. And Gabriel, he has this awesome assignment with the most wonderful message. But once again, he's dealing with people. People who realize that when they see it, God work, they don't see themselves as being worthy of joining in with the effort. They don't think that they really can be a part of it. Uncertainty always raises up, and we try and back out. We make excuses, and we think that it all relies on us and our abilities. And we forget that God is the one who is going to work in and through us. We just need to go along for the ride. Mary was no different, and neither was Joseph, her betrothed. So there's Joseph. What can we say about him? Well, it's obvious that he cared about Mary quite a bit. And when he found out that she was pregnant, and he knew that that he wasn't responsible for what was conceived within her and her condition, he determined that it would be best if he just silently slipped away into the background and got out of town. He he didn't want to make a big scene about Mary. After all, he, he did love her. Now he just wanted to go away. And and he would somehow try to figure out how life was going to go just somewhere down the road. But let's pause for a minute with Joseph. We need to understand that there has to be something unique about this man. Joseph, that something has caught God's attention Because after all, God has determined that he is going to be the, quote, physical surrogate father of God's son, Jesus. And he was going to be the one that was going to teach him and instruct him about life and faith and responsibility and commitment and and, and, and of one's task. And he's a craftsman by trade. That's what Joseph was. He was just a, a normal, everyday Joe. He understood that some things take time. If you wanted a beautiful piece of of furniture, you were probably going to have to wait for it because, you know, those intricate details, they just don't 
appear overnight. Now, he may be able to build you a house, and it would probably look wonderful, but you weren't going to move into it just next week. It, it takes time for all these things to happen. Timing is important, yet he also knew about deadlines, and pregnancy definitely had a deadline. <laughs> and so he wanted out. How far along was she anyway? And, and how is he to believe this wild story that she's telling him that she has been conceived with this child by the Holy Spirit? I know that's not how things work. Things just don't make sense. So Matthew tells us in his letter, in chapter 1, beginning about verse 20, as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now, all of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from his dream, his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Once again, Gabriel was sent on his mission. Did you notice this time... His connection was just a little bit different than he'd had with Zechariah and with, with Mary. All right? Maybe he thought he'd try a different approach this time because he keeps frightening these people every time he shows up. All right? So he appears to Joseph in a dream. While Joseph doesn't give any indication that he is afraid of Gabriel, his message definitely stirred up some fear within this man. And, 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 he, and he's afraid to do something that, that, you know, God wants you to do. I mean, so he's got this uncomfortable feeling that is identified here. And it's obvious that God was putting some trust in Joseph. And he was laying an immense amount of responsibility in his lap. But here's the thing. Joseph believed it and obeyed. So he took Mary as his wife. The baby was born and he calls his name Jesus. But Gabriel's job isn't quite finished yet. Nine months go by. And it's time for this big reveal. The time of This time, however, it's a host of angels along with him that have been assembled as a choir. And, and, and they have been itching to join Gabriel on these missions. They've been watching from heaven and they've been seeing things unfold. And now they get a chance to be a part of this great plan. 
I, I wonder if, if like choir rehearsals in church, for the three months leading up to this, they began to rehearse and every angel memorized their parts and now they were getting ready for the big Christmas cantata like every church does, right? You know? And, and so, so as they approach this moment, every one of these angels has probably most likely memorized their part. And I wonder if it was like a four-part harmony you know, or was this like a really big cantata with an eight-part or a 16-part choir harmony? I mean, it's, what, what's going on with this? We just know that there was a host of angels, a multitude of angels. I really don't know how many that is, but I venture to think that there's probably more than you can shake a stick at. All right? Scripture says there were a myriad upon myriad of angels, a host of angels. Now, some have suggested that that can be translated into approximately 100 million angels. <laughs> That's a choir. All right? Nevertheless, the big day was finally here, and Gabriel and the other angels itching to be front stage in this production. They get this awesome opportunity over the rolling hills of Bethlehem while the shepherds were out that evening watching their sheep at night. So back in the book of Luke, chapter 2, the story begins to unfold a little more. Beginning in verse 9, an angel of the Lord appeared to them, the shepherds. And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. Well, here we go again fear. I guess it's probably just expected by now, right? You know, that you show up, somebody's going to start trembling. And every time he shows up, people start to have fear. And these shepherds, they're no different. But did you catch the little difference in his appearance this time? This time, Luke mentions the glory of the Lord shown around them. And when you go back in the Old Testament, you discover that the glory of the Lord in and of itself was something spectacular and something that it also brought a lot of fear and trembling when it was there. People realized God was in the room. These shepherds were in essence getting a double whammy that night. Not only was it the angel... But the glory of God is there, and, and, and they are, they're shaking. So Luke tells us there in chapter 2, verse 10, The angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news, great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And then he says, this will be a sign to you. You'll find the baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And then suddenly, I mean, as if you could snap your fingers, the blink of an eye, suddenly there was with this angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. I mean, what an awesome night this must have been. 
One of the best places that I love to go when I go to Israel is there at Bethlehem in the shepherd's field. And just imagine that whole sky lit up with this host of angels and the glory of God and realize as well that just over the hill, they don't even know what's happening in Bethlehem. Truly marvelous message these shepherds heard. God's plan for the redemption of the human race was finally coming to its ultimate crescendo as these angels sang. And Jesus was born and the angels were celebrating in heaven that which they had longed to come see take place for generations. Since the foundation of this earth, they knew that God was going to do something wonderful. And these lowly shepherds were going to be the first people to announce the birth of Messiah. I mean, what an honor. What a privilege. And yet, what a responsibility. In each of these stories, fear and uncertainty filled the lives of these people that are involved. Now, their stories, like all human stories, are a complex interaction between faith and fear. To see through the eyes of angels this miraculous moment not only allowed them to see the fear and the uncertainty of mankind, but it gave them a new perspective, and one I think we can't ignore to take a look at either. Through the eyes of angels, the power And the security of God was seen. Now, having come from God on mission with a message that speaks to their hearts of fear, on each occasion the angel would say, do not be afraid. That's easier said than done. At least on each occasion I think that was there. And when when you're looking for certainty in an uncertain life like Zechariah, When you're called to come out of the crowd and be somebody special with a unique responsibility like Mary, and when your life seems to be out of control and definitely not what you had planned or bargained for like Joseph, or or when you're spinning just a little too fast and furious like these shepherds, it's easier to say, don't be afraid, than to actually not be afraid. But for each one of them, his message is very similar. And it's the same for you and me today. Don't be afraid. God has a plan. For each one of them, Gabriel had a plan, or God had a plan, and Gabriel was only there to let them know that the plan was now unfolding. Finally, it had been set in motion, and the world doesn't go on spinning year after year without God actively involved in it. He's not as if the deists portray him, that he just kind of is this cosmic God who winds up the Christmas toys and sets them in motion and lets them run their course as long as they're ticking. No, that's not who he is. Matter of fact, God has a plan, and he's actively involved in not only putting together this plan, but he's right in the middle of it, as it is taking place. So don't be afraid. God has a plan. And you're a part of that plan. 
See, friends, you were created for a purpose. There is a reason that you are here even today. Psalm 139, verse 16 says, Your eyes saw my unformed substance, and in your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. You are unique. You are special. You are unrepeatable. You're a miracle of God. Paul is speaking in the book of Acts, chapter 17, beginning about verse 24, and he begins to unveil this plan as well. And so he tells the people, the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being. Even as some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image that is formed by the art and the imagination of man. The time of ignorance got overlooked. But now, but now, he commands all people everywhere to repent. Because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he is given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Now, I want you to know something. No one else in all history is like you. You are that unique. You are that special. And God has a specific plan for your life. And his plan is bigger than you and me. And, but you have to also understand, it's incomplete without you. He wants you in his plan. All right? that, that's why we're here today. The angel, he came to Zechariah, Mary, Joseph, and the shepherds, and he told them how God needed them to be involved in his plan, in his great scheme of things, and, and that, that the message for us today is that we too are players in this great and wonderful plan of his. So don't be afraid. God has a plan. You are a part of his plan, and others will be blessed by it. For Mary, Gabriel said, 
you're going to conceive and you will bear a son and you're to give him the name Jesus and he will be great and he will be called the son of the most high and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And in that moment, the whole world was about to be blessed by the fulfilling of God's promise to all mankind. I mean, isn't it awesome that you and I get to be a part of this plan? We just need to respond as Mary responded, despite any feelings of fear or uncertainty that we might have. And so this is what she said in Matthew chapter 1, verse 38, or Luke chapter 1, verse 38. Mary said, Behold, I'm a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed her. Now, along with you and me and all of those around us will be blessed by the plan that God has for your life. Jesus was sent into this world to bring the world salvation. Now, as we bring this to a close, it's important important for us to realize that these stories, they didn't end when the angel left them. That wasn't the end of the story. All right? Their stories were really just beginning. Zechariah, he faced nine months of silence, unable to speak until his baby was born, and he spoke his name, John. Could you imagine that? Not being able to talk for nine months? Mary, she faced the horror of telling her fiancé, Joseph, that she was pregnant and going to have a baby by the Holy Spirit, right? The humiliation that may have been associated with this unwed pregnancy, let alone the nine months it would follow, wondering how she, a simple girl, was going to raise the Son of God. Wow. Joseph, he was getting ready to face the embarrassment of this inconvenient pregnancy before marriage, taking probably the blame for what he didn't do, and then beginning from that moment on to provide for this little infant and to try and figure out how he was going to be this surrogate father to the Son of God. The shepherds' lives, (laughs) they were never the same. I mean, they became the bearers of this wonderful news, and yet there were probably people in their world in their family, in their town in which they lived, that mocked and ridiculed them for this outlandish story that they were saying. But the truth is, they each faced the future with assurance and with certainty that God was with them. And we can too. Let's pray. Father, we know this plan that you have set in place even before the foundation of the world was laid. That a baby would be born into this world. And to have been one of the angels there in heaven just, just watching and waiting and, and wanting to be a part of that and, and observing from heaven with their own eyes, seeing all of this being unraveled right there in their presence. Oh my goodness, what a... What a celebration had to have happened in heaven. And, and to, to have been able to interact as Gabriel did with each of these main players of your great marvelous plan. 
Oh, my. Father, but you are still doing the same thing even today. That you are conceiving within us, through your Holy Spirit, a new life. A new born again life. All of this is being done because Jesus was born into this world. Father, may we see you with the eyes of angels your holiness, your righteousness, your love for those around us, people who are just like us in need of a Savior. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.